Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Associate Pastor Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, found in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles on page 187. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment, with the promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, everybody. So for a moment there, I was thinking of entitling this sermon, What I Did on My Summer Vacation. Now, I want to share with you a couple things I've done, seen, and read this summer. I spent an amazing two weeks in Europe. First week I spent with my dad, and we did all sorts of stuff together. We sat at cafes in Belgium, we ate baguettes in northern France, we explored quarries along the border with Germany, and we took a detailed tour along the old First World War Western Front. Now it's hard to capture what we saw there. These are just a couple of pictures of graves that stretched on as far as the eyes could see of memorials to men who fought, killed, and died for king and country, for the Union Secree, for culture and the fatherland, to make the world safe for democracy. I want to tell you a story I heard. Do you see this grave? Come up here in a second. You probably can't read the writing on it, but it's a grave for a second lieutenant of the 2nd Battalion Irish Guards, who went by the name of John Kipling. John Kipling was the only son of a famous British poet and writer, Rudyard Kipling. He, of the Jungle Book fame, among other things. Rudyard Kipling was known as the Bard of the Barracks for extolling manly, imperial, imperial, soldierly, stiff upper lip virtue. In the summer of 1914, when the First World War broke out, John Kipling was just shy of 17. He attempted to join the British Royal Navy, but was turned down because of his severe short-sightedness. His father, Rudyard, was one of the most famous men in the world and was able to pull some strings and got his boy, John, his commission in the Irish Guards, despite his poor eyesight. 
Both father and son saw the war as a crusade for civilization against barbarism. And Rudyard was keen that his son would see active service. The war was not over by Christmas, as some people wistfully hoped for, but kept growing in scale and violence as 1914 rolled into 1915. The British were on the defensive for the early start of the war, but by September 1915 were able to engage in their first offensive action in what became known as the Battle of Luz. John Kipling was reported missing in action. For three years, Rudyard and his wife sought to know what became of their beloved only son. They eventually tracked down a soldier under John's command and learned that John Kipling was last seen shot by enemy gunfire after losing his glasses in the mud during an assault on a German machine gun post. And that picture is a picture of John Kipling's grave, killed September 27th, 1915, at the age of 18. Rudyard Kipling never publicly commented on his son's death, but in 1919, he did write a poem which read, in its entirety, if any question why we died, tell them because our fathers lied. Our sermon this morning is about how we raise our kids. It's about parents, it's about children, and how God calls us to act in response to one another. I tell that sad story about John and Rudyard Kipling because it is sad, because it's messy. There are consequences to how we parent our children. There are consequences to how we live in response to how our parents raise us. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, on its surface, can seem rather boring, rather mundane, compared to some of the heights and depths and length and width of the power of God and the mercy of Christ that we have heard told earlier in Ephesians. Obey your parents, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, honoring your mother and father. Don't exasperate your children. Raise them up in the Lord. That's it. It seems simple, clean, direct. But we know that's not the case when it comes to families, right? Families, child-rearing is hard. It's messy. Before I go much further, I want to pause for a second and say something that I believe must be said whenever we deal with passages on the topics of marriage or child raising. I'm fully cognizant of the reality that not everyone listening to my sermon this morning is a parent, or let alone married. Churches around the world have a tendency to make invisible people who are single or married couples without kids as though it is God's will that a sign of a true Christian is a stable married couple with 2.5 children. I'm going to tell you the truth, and we would all do well to listen. Jesus Christ, who is the very essence of true human flourishing, never married. We as Christians and as a church 
need to stop treating singles or couples without kids as if they are deficient or incomplete. We all come from one type of family or another. All of us are someone else's kids. Just as Jesus had a father and is a son, so too we are all daughters and sons. So we can listen to this passage from Ephesians in light of this, in light of being children of God. It speaks to those raising children or grandchildren. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, it speaks to those of us who are children, and it speaks to those of us, all of us, who are God's children. So our passage today, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, is part of a larger household code that reflects the reality of first century life, with instruction on how Christians were to organize their homes, families, and lives. Each section of the household code in Ephesians begins by addressing those who did not have power or authority within the society within which they lived. When Paul is writing, you have to remember that his world was patriarchal to the extreme. Women, children, and slaves, they had slaves, they weren't considered to be human by many. Usually when you see these kind of household codes in other literature of the time, they are solely addressed to the male head of the household. Yet Paul does something different. Paul regards women, children, slaves as moral agents, people who can choose to live in light of God's story no matter how society views them. No matter who the world may tell you that you are, no matter how despised you are by the powers that be, remember, remember that God says you are valuable, that you have purpose, that you are loved. Now last week we heard about the relationship between spouses. This week children and parents, and next, more tricky in light of contemporary morality, slaves. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 echoes traditional Greco-Roman and Jewish teaching about family life. Though Paul reshapes these cultural convictions and conventions in the light of Christ. He begins by addressing children in verses 1 through 3 before offering counsel for fathers in verse 4. The four-verse section on the relationship between children and parents includes four imperatives. Obey, verse 1. Honor, verse 2. Do not exasperate, verse 4. And bring them up, again, verse 4. What does it mean to obey your parents? And what does it mean to honor your mother and father? Ephesians 6, 1 instructs children to obey their parents and reminds parents that their children's obedience is necessary if those kids are going to thrive. If fathers and mothers are going to be used by the Lord to raise their children, then they cannot shy away from giving their children guidance that needs to be obeyed. After all, our Heavenly Father does the very same thing with us. Of course, as children grow, they should take more responsibility for their own lives. 
Parents will help them do this wisely if we raise them with lessons to be learned, encouragements to be followed, boundaries to be heeded, and admonishments to be accepted. Through obedience to sensible, godly parents, children will learn how to be sensible, godly adults. So says the word of God. Honor your father and mother is the crux of verse 2. And this is a quotation slash citation of a portion of the Ten Commandments. Children honor their parents by obeying them. But honor, as Hannah so adequately shared with us, includes much more than obedience. It's not just following orders, but living in such a way that parents feel valued by their children. By all means, children should obey their parents, but they should go beyond obedience to energetically honoring their parents, both in how they treat them directly and by how they live in the world. But this gets tricky, does it not? How do you honor your parents when what they are suggesting is against the will of God? Not everybody has a good relationship with their parents and for right reasons. Even if you do not have a good relationship with them, not everything is neat and perfect when it comes to families. It gets messy. Pastor Amanda isn't here this Sunday, but I got her permission to share this story with you. Her parents actively discouraged her from attending church as a child. They did not want her to go to worship on Sunday mornings. They had their reasons, and I will not judge them. If it weren't for Pastor Amanda's grandmother, who came by each Sunday morning to pick up her little granddaughter, and take her to church to ensure that Amanda grew up in the love of the church, Pastor Amanda would never have become a Christian. As she and I were discussing this sermon, she asked me this, if I had listened to my parents, I wouldn't be in the church. What does this scripture say to someone who defied their parents by becoming Christian? What does it say? I don't know. It's messy. So what do you do? Well, you love your parents, right? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amanda's story does end on a happier note, though. By the time Amanda became an ordained pastor, her parents were fully behind her because they loved their daughter and they wanted to see her thrive. But not all instances of the sins of parents can be smoothed out like this. I want to pull up another picture for you. Do you, do you recognize this man? That's Frederick Douglass, social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, statesman, and self-emancipated runaway slave. I've been spending a lot of time this summer reading a recently published biography, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom, by David Blight. Frederick Douglass was a devout Christian, but was disgusted by the way American churches were willing to compromise on the issue of slavery. He traveled relentlessly through his life 
And here's a neat little tidbit. He is known to have given at least, at least one speech slash sermon here at the First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. Frederick Douglass is rightly seen to be one of the greatest individuals to have ever been produced by the United States of America. And Frederick Douglass never knew who his father was. And do you know why that is? Because he was born a slave, another man's property, and his mother had been raped by his slave master father or one of his sons. Douglas could not honor his earthly father, and it would be sinful to say otherwise. He did not struggle with this, though, though he were a pious man who knew and treasured his scriptures. Instead, he sought to live his life in a way that reflected his God-given dignity that the world tried to deny and break as a black man in America to preach the freedom that Christ brings to the enslaved and oppressed, and to live out the radical equality made real by the gospel, the reality that there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. In this way, he honored his mother. In this way, Frederick Douglass honored his heavenly father. To continue in the scripture, in the world of early Christians, father assumed, fathers assumed primary responsibility for the upbringing of their children, though mothers participated as well. Ephesians 6.4 says, do not exasperate your children. And what that means is not that fathers and mothers should never do anything to upset their children, no. Sometimes children become angry even when their parents discipline them in a merciful and wise way. Rather, Paul is warning fathers about treating their children wrongly, thus giving them justifiable cause to be angry. Well, what should parents avoid? According to one commentator, do not exasperate your children rules out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Fathers in the Roman world had ultimate and complete authority over their children and could easily abuse their power. Christian fathers and mothers are to choose a different path. Christian parents avoid treating their children unjustly because they are formed by the gospel of a gracious heavenly father. Human fathering, human mothering is to be shaped by the very activity of God. Family is not simply a blood thing. It can be something so much more. The body of Christ is the community of the church, the family of God. We raise our children. 
This we affirm in baptism when we promise to support those baptized in the way of the Lord, to help their parents, to partner with them in the life of the faith and the raising up of the child. Surely God is with us through his Holy Spirit, but God is also with us through God's people, the church. Our parenting, our marriages, our singleness, our very, live, our very lives happens within the context of the church. To raise children up in the Lord refers not so much as to the content of the upbringing but as to its divine source. Parents can talk about raising their own children, but in reality, the Lord is raising his children through us. We are not free to do as we please when it comes to our children. We shouldn't do to or for them anything that dishonors the Lord. We are to model our own parenting on the gracious, truthful, just, and loving fatherhood of God. In addition to parenting our children in God's way, the fact that we bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord means that God is at work in and through us as we raise kids. When we lack wisdom, God is there to provide it. When our patience runs thin, God has more available. When our hearts break because our children have chosen a path we would never have wanted for them, we know that our Heavenly Father shares our grief even as he gives us faith to pray for another way. Though parenting can sometimes feel like lonely work, the truth is that we are not alone. God is with us. And when we remember this, we honor our mothers and fathers. When we remember that God is with us, we live into our calling as children of a good, good father. And we thank Christ for this. We have a good good Father, our Father, and may his kingdom come and may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen.